Morning, church. Today's reading is from Matthew 17, verses 1 to 27. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Jesus and Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And the voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, then why do the scribes say that Elijah, that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. <clears throat> but I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. The disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and, kneeling before him, said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be praised, he will be raised on the third day, and they were greatly distressed. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, 
does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, what do you think, Simon? For, from whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. He rendered the reading. Thank you. This is the word of the Lord. Um, we are going to look at that text now um, in just a second. Um, one of the, the things, the fundamental uh, questions um, for anyone who's trying to teach the Bible uh, when you're trying to teach it is uh, one of the things you're trying to figure out is how the text fits together. Right? How does this passage fit together? How do the different parts of the passage kind of fit together? And um, sometimes it's really obvious. Um, and sometimes it's difficult. And sometimes it's really, really, really difficult. So... Confession, this is one of those weeks where it was really, really difficult. There's this transfiguration, Jesus is transformed. There's a guy who gets healed by Jesus, who the disciples couldn't heal. And there's something about a temple tax. Uh, like, how do these things kind of all fit together? And I was struggling. I was struggling, struggling, struggling. And I think, uh, in my struggle and, and looking over the text, I think God was really kind uh, in helping me see how this text fits together. And it's really, really exciting. Like it's, it's, really, it's really, really exciting. It's really helpful, and I trust that it will be very beneficial. And it has everything to do with what it means to be a son of God. And so that's what we're going to do. Um, let me just say something about our order. We are going to look firstly at the first section, this transfiguration. We're going to skip down to the last section, this issue with the temple tax. And then we're going to go to the middle section because I think that's what holds it together. And again, what we're going to be looking at is what it looks like to be God's son. Uh, and we're going to pray. I'm praying. I'm trusting that it's going to be a blessing to us. Um, but before we do any of that, let me, um, let me pray. Speak, O oh Lord. As we come to you to receive the food of your holy word, shape us, liken us in your image. Speak, O oh Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. Speak, O oh Lord, Lord, through your word you made this universe and all that you do, you do through your word and your word has power. Lord, I pray that your word would go with power this morning and it would do impossible things this morning. And here and now, as we gather, Lord, that you would make us like your son, Jesus Christ. Grant us faith to believe that. So that by faith we'll walk as you walk with us. 
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to look at the first uh, kind of section. The first section in this chapter, and this first section has really a main point and a main application. And the main point is this. Jesus is the all-glorious son. Jesus is the unique son of God. He's this glorious son of God. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read that first section, but I'm actually going to take it from the last two verses of chapter 16, and I'm going to read into chapter 17. So from the last two verses, for the son of man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold... There appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. So at the end of the chapter last week that we were looking at, Jesus makes this promise that there are some of the disciples who are there who would not die until they see something of the Son coming into his glory, something of Jesus' great glory. And then about a week later, some of these disciples see exactly that. They're taken up the mountain and they see something of Jesus' glory. And look, we don't have the words to describe what happens here. But, but briefly, what happens is that they see something amazing and they hear something amazing. They see something amazing and they hear something amazing. So they see something amazing. They see Jesus transfigured before them. That word transfigured, no one uses that word. Transformed before them. Jesus, the Jesus they've been with all this time, all of a sudden, that same Jesus is transformed. And the Bible tells us his face begins to shine like the sun. So a few scientific facts for us. We are roughly 93 million miles away from the sun. 93 million miles away from the sun. And yet, and you know this if you try this, you cannot look directly at the sun for a long time. You can't. Uh, in fact, I was reading, it's, it's interesting. The sun has the ability to actually burn bits of your eye from 93 million miles away. Right? So, so that's something of just how bright the sun is. That's something of just how glorious the sun is. And that's a snapshot of how glorious the Son is, Jesus, right? They see Jesus and they see his glory and his face shines like the sun. So throughout the series, we've been stressing in Matthew that Jesus is this kid from nowhere, Nazareth, right? He looks so ordinary and basic. And yet what these disciples see for a moment is they see that he's the one who actually sustains the universe, 
That this is the one, this is the glorious God, the maker of the heavens and the earth. And in one sense, what the disciples are seeing, they're having a peek into both Jesus' past and his future. when, When they look at Jesus on the mountain, they get a glimpse of what Jesus was like, of what the sun was like before there ever was a heaven or earth. When there was God and God alone, they they got a glimpse into the glory that the Son has. The glory with which he shared with the Father and the Spirit. They got a glimpse into what Jesus had been in eternity past. But they were also getting a glimpse into the future of what Jesus is going to look back when he comes and he bursts through these skies and he's riding on the clouds and his face is shining like the sun. And he comes to set this world aright. They, They get a glimpse into what Jesus looks like in his glory. They see the glory of Jesus, the Son of God. And somehow there's Moses here and there's Elijah here, these amazing prophets, but their faces aren't shining. They're not glowing like the sun. They're simply content to bask in the glory of Jesus Christ. These disciples see the glory of the sun. That's what they see. And Peter, you know, Peter being Peter, wants to be helpful. So he says, you know what, I don't want to be useless. Let me make myself useful. Let me make some tents. And while Peter is speaking, he's interrupted. Because the disciples not just see, they don't just see something, they hear something. The Father speaks. And when the Father speaks, he says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is the exact words that we saw earlier at the baptism, those of us who were there, when the Father spoke and said of Jesus, this is my beloved Son. Moses and Elijah are there, these great prophets. They are not the Son. Jesus is the Son. Jesus is the beloved Son. Once again, the Father publicly declares Jesus to be the Son, right? And so it's clear as day, right? You speak to sometimes evangelism, you'll you'll speak to Muslims, this idea that Jesus is just one of the prophets. He's not. Jesus is the Son. He's the Son of God. He's the Son in whom the Father is pleased. Jesus is the Son. We we see that in in what the disciples see. We we see in what the, the disciples hear. And there's a very clear application given to this first section, right? Verse 5. We're going to read the whole of verse 5. Peter was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Isn't it so great when the Bible just makes the application really clear? It's just really, really obvious. You've seen all of this. You've heard this. What's the point? Listen to him. Jesus is the unique son of God. Listen to him. Follow him. Obey him. There's a lot of conversation as to why is it that Moses and Elijah all of a sudden show up? Why them? There's probably a few reasons, but I think the central thing is that Moses and Elijah here represent the law and the prophet. Uh, Moses, the law, the first five books of the Old Testament are called the law of Moses. And Elijah is kind of like the typical prophet. When you see Moses and Elijah with Jesus, you're seeing the law and the prophets represented, which already in Matthew we've seen is a way of speaking of the Old Testament. I think the point is this. Moses and Elijah were there, and yet the Father speaks, and the Father says, listen to Jesus. The point is this. The law and the prophets, the Old Testament, in fact, the entire Bible, the point of it is to point you to Jesus Christ. 
The purpose of reading the Bible is that you might see Jesus, that you might follow Jesus. We have not read our Bibles correctly until we see Jesus. We, we know nothing about what the Bible is telling us until we realize that it finds its climax in Jesus. We read the word of God that we might see the word of God, Jesus himself. That, that's the point of it. That's the point of all the scriptures. Right? Jesus says to the religious leaders, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but they testify concerning me. Moses and Elijah are there to point to Jesus. Everything in the Bible is about Jesus, so follow him, obey him. And yet the tragedy is, uh, this is still part of this first section, the tragedy is that though the Father has said, this is my son, and though we are called to obey Jesus, what happens instead is that Jesus is rejected. So verse 9, as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, then why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but they did to him whatever they pleased. So also the son of man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. Here's what Jesus is saying. Though Jesus is the son Though we are called to obey him, he will be rejected and killed, just like John the Baptist was. So these disciples, Peter, James, and John, they've just seen Jesus, they've just kind of seen Elijah, and it, you know, that raises the question, what's the timeline here? There was this prophecy in Malachi 4 that before the day of the Lord, God would send Elijah, and Elijah would bring about some great restoration. And so the disciples, they're asking Jesus, what about Elijah? How does the timeline work? How does this all kind of fit together? And Jesus responds essentially by saying that, yes, Elijah comes before the Messiah, that Elijah must come, but in fact, Elijah had already come. And Elijah was John the Baptist. Again, we saw this when we, a few chapters ago, chapter 3. We saw that John the Baptist is this new kind of Elijah. And John the Baptist, he brings about this restoration by preaching a gospel of repentance, symbolized by baptism and by God's grace there are a number of people who follow him there are a number of people who repent but the tragedy is that most people rejected John the Baptist most people did not follow him they ignored him and eventually they killed him and the reason why that's important is Jesus is saying what they did to John the Baptist is what they will do to me Though Jesus is the Son of God, though we are called to listen to him, he will be rejected. In the same way that till today most people are rejecting him. And that rejection will culminate in the fact that they will execute him and crucify him. And yet he is the Son. So the Son of God whom the Father said, must be obeyed, is the same one who is rejected and killed by people. And yet, he is the Son. And God proves that he's the Son by raising him again from the dead on the third day. The resurrection proves that despite human rejection, Jesus is in fact the Son of God in whom the Father is well pleased. And so our call is to listen to him. That's the first section. Jesus is the Son of God. 
Right? Jesus, there's the uniqueness to the fact that Jesus, Jesus is the son. And despite the fact that people reject him, God calls us to listen to him. And yet, as we skip down to this last section of the chapter, in a very weird scene, we see quite an amazing thing. Though Jesus is the unique son, he shares that sonship with his disciples. So look with me from verse 24. We'll go back to the middle at the end, but let's skip down to verse 24. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, From others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go out to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Okay, so lots of weird stuff going on. Really, the heart of this section is we need to understand what this tax is and what that has to do with Jesus being the son. What's this two drachma tax? Here's where history is really helpful for us. We know that in Jesus' time, there was something called the temple tax. Uh, and another word is the two drachma tax. Drachma was just like their currency. That's how much the temple tax was. And it was a tax that um, was given in order to maintain the temple of God. The temple is a big place, lots of maintenance work that needs to be done. You know, it doesn't, it's not going to pay for itself. People need to pay for it. And so every Jewish adult male was asked to pay a tax towards the upkeep of the temple. Um, and so these guys, the collectors of this tax, they go to Peter and say, doesn't your teacher pay the tax? Um, doesn't your teacher support the temple financially? And Peter's like, yeah, of course he does. Now, I don't know if Peter actually knows whether he does or not. But he's like, yeah, yeah of course he does. Um, and then he goes back to the house. And Jesus asks him a really weird question. Jesus says to him, who do rulers tax? Do they tax outsiders or do they tax their own sons? And the answer is quite obvious. They tax outsiders. Again, that might seem weird. So let me maybe make it more contemporary. Um, You're at home. You get that letter. um, That letter that's telling you how much of your hard-earned money is going to be taxed. How much of that money you're not even going to see. Sometimes you kind of feel it would be better just not even to see what the the other amount was, right? But anyways, you you get that letter. It tells you how much tax you need to pay. And on that letter, you will see four letters somewhere on there. HMRC, right? They're the guys who do the tax. Well, HMRC stands for Her Majesty's Revenues and Customs. Okay, His Majesty's now. Yeah, cool. Right? Her Majesty's Revenues and Customs. Why? Because at least on paper, tax is taken on behalf of the Queen, the ruling monarch. Tax is taken from us. Most people, all of us, kind of pay tax on behalf of the ruling monarch. And so we all need to pay tax. Except, guess who doesn't pay tax? The royal family. They don't pay tax. When the queen's collecting tax or the king's collecting tax and they're sending out tax and they're taxing all the people, 
she, she, she doesn't tax her children. The, the royal family is exempt from tax. And in fact, that's something that's just true everywhere. Royal families, those who actually do the taxing, their children are exempt from tax. That's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, who do people, rulers, who do they tax? Do they tax outsiders or do they tax their own sons? Well, obviously, they don't tax their own sons. They actually tax outsiders. Okay, what's that got to do with anything? Remember, Jesus isn't talking about Roman tax. He's not talking about government tax. He's actually talking about the temple tax. So I want you to stick with me here. He's talking about the temple tax. Jesus isn't saying, I'm a son of Caesar, and so therefore I don't need to pay Roman tax. Later on in Matthew, there's a section talking about Roman tax. This is not that. He's not saying, I'm a son of Caesar. I don't need to pay Roman tax. He's saying, I'm the son of God. I don't need to pay temple tax. This tax is for my father's house. I'm a son. I don't have to pay. I'm free. This tax that's for the temple, Jesus is exempt from. And so in one sense, what Jesus is saying here is really reinforcing what he said, what we saw in the first passage. Jesus is the son. And yet what's remarkable here is that Jesus doesn't say, the son is free. He he says, the sons are free. Plural. More than one son. Jesus assumes that not only is he free from the temple tax, Peter and the disciples are free from the temple tax. They're all sons. Look, that's the crazy thing in this section. The crazy thing isn't the miracle. That's great. There's a miracle. There's a fish. And there's money in the fish. That's fantastic. The amazing thing is that Jesus, who is the son of God, speaks as if other people can share in his sonship. They can also be sons. And by the way, when I say sons, the reason why I'm saying sons, I mean sons and daughters, but I'm saying sons because Jesus is talking about other people sharing in his sonship. Right? Jesus is the son. He doesn't need to pay temple tax. And the disciples are somehow sons of God as well, and they don't need to pay temple tax. So we start off in the beginning of the chapter with this idea that Jesus is the unique son of God the beloved son of God. And what we see by the end of this chapter is that Jesus somehow shares that unique sonship with his followers. And that leaves us with one question, how? How is it that Jesus, who is the unique son, somehow shares that sonship with his followers? And I think the answer to that is actually found in the middle part of this chapter. So look with me from verse 14. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures, and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water, and I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. 
So we've gone back to the middle of this passage. What's happened is Jesus and the three disciples are on the mountain. They come down from the mountain and there's this kind of tragic scene. There's a man who has a child who is demon-possessed. And this demon is causing him great harm. And this man took his son to the disciples of Jesus, the other nine disciples, to heal them. But the disciples, who, by the way, throughout Matthew, we've seen they've been healing, but the disciples, they could not heal this man. They could not cast this demon out. And Jesus comes down from the mountain, and Jesus is disappointed in his disciples. Jesus, you might even say, is frustrated with his disciples because Jesus expects that who he is, what he does, that they would be able to do also. In other words, I think what's happening, Jesus comes and Jesus is expecting that his disciples can share in his status. They can be like sons, but they're not like him. They can't do it. They can't cast out the demon. And it's not, Jesus isn't saying, you know, disciples, you know, this was above your pay grade or, you know, this is something for me. No, Jesus is upset because they didn't do it. And they asked Jesus, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus' answer is really clear. They lack faith. They lack faith. And you know what? That's the answer to our how. How is it that the unique son shares his sonship with his followers? It's by faith. It's by faith that we join in Jesus' sonship. And it's by faith we live out our lives as Jesus' children. The answer is by faith, by trusting in Jesus. These disciples, they've come, they're brought into him, and it may be that these disciples, again, they've, done, they've cast out loads of demons. They, they've healed loads of people. And so perhaps they think this is just merely automatic. They just go through the motion and this demon comes out. But perhaps they begin to think that actually there's something about them that somehow means they can act like Jesus acted. And so they try to cast him out, but they can't. Jesus makes clear the only way they could, the only way we can live our identity as God's children is by faith. It's by depending on Jesus. It's by trusting in Jesus. And so let me say, for for those of us who are here and are not trusting in Jesus, faith in Jesus, trusting in Jesus is the way in which we become part of the family of God. You can share in Jesus' sonship today. You can become a child of God by faith today. The amazing thing about our God is that our God has a son. And those who trust in that son can be made also his children, can be made to be part of that family. And it happens by faith. It doesn't, you, you don't become a child of God by doing things or, or by striving or by acting better or trying to clean yourself up. You become a child of God. You share in the sonship of Jesus Christ by trusting in what Jesus has done. By faith. Jesus becomes like us. And suffers and dies so that by faith we might become like him. So that we also can share in his sonship. So that by faith, God can see us in exactly the same way he sees his son. We can share in his sonship. You can share in his sonship. You can be a child of God. We are not by nature children of God. We are by nature enemies of God. We are by nature far from God. By nature, when you look at the transfiguration, when you see what's happening with Jesus, we are so far from that. We are infinitely far away from that. But by faith, 
what the father says of the son. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. By faith, if you trust in Jesus Christ, one day you will stand before God and the father will say those same words to you. You are my child in whom I am well pleased. And that happens by faith, by trusting in Jesus. And if you do that, if you trust in Jesus, if you trust in what God has done in his son, Jesus Christ, not only do you become a, a son, but because you are a son, you can know that your future is bound up in the future of Jesus Christ. What I mean to say is this, that the same way that Jesus on that mountain over 2,000 years ago was transfigured and was transformed and had this glory and he was shining, those who trust in Jesus Christ, that is your future also. One day, you will have new bodies, glorified bodies, in a new heaven and a new earth. And the Bible says, in that new heaven and the new earth, Jesus Christ will be the son of that new heavens and the new earth. There will be no son. God himself will be the son. And yet the promise is that those who trust in Jesus Christ, we also will shine. The Bible says, we will shine like stars in the kingdom of our Father. Here's the promise. The promise is there for you. It is near you. It is close to you. If you're not trusting in Jesus Christ, trust in Jesus and you can become a child of God. And for those of us who are here who are God's children, who by God's grace are sharing in the sonship of Jesus, how is it that you will live as a child of God? How is it that you will please God as a child of God? Only by faith. This passage tells you to look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to his power and strength. Every attempt to live as a child of God in your own strength and power is doomed to failure. Every time you try to live out your identity as God's child, every time you try to please God with our own wisdom, with our own ideas, in our own resources, it's doomed to failure. These disciples, they attempt to do what Jesus did. They attempt to heal this boy, but they cannot. And Jesus says they do not have faith. Again, maybe they've forgotten that the power to heal wasn't actually theirs. They had no power. The power was God's. They needed to trust in Jesus, to trust in God and see God's power at work. Christians, we need to trust God. Faith, faith is the key thing here. We will only live our, our life as God's children by faith, by depending upon God to live this life as God's children. And if we live by faith, Jesus says we will move mountains. Jesus says, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, verse 20, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. So look, I'm not sure what those mountains are in your specific lives that are keeping you from living out your life as a child of God. Those seemingly impossible things to move that keep you from fully living out what it looks like to be God's son, to be God's child. Jesus says, if we trust in him, those mountains will move. If we trust in him, everything we need to live a life that's pleasing to him, to live the life that God has called us to do, to, to, to be faithful to him as God's children, God will give it to us. Nothing will be impossible for us. 
And look, for these disciples, these disciples, Jesus had called them. He had commissioned them to heal. And if they were going to do that, to live as Jesus did, they needed faith. And maybe for some of us, that's what Jesus is calling us to do. Maybe Jesus is calling us to heal. And we'll need faith to do that. Yet for some of us, the mountain that's in the way of us living a life that's pleasing to God as God's children is a mountain of this particular sin. There's this sin we've been dealing with for years and years, and it's like a mountain. It will not move. It, it's so big, it's so tall, it's so sturdy, and we've wept about it, and we've cried about it, and we've prayed about it, and we've done all kinds of things, and it's still there. And it keeps us from living out fully our lives as God's children. And it feels hopeless. It's a mountain. It's like you're standing in front of a mountain and you, and you need to get through, but you can't get through. There's a mountain there. And the promise of Jesus Christ is that if we trust him, he will move that mountain. If we have faith as small as a mustard seed, he will move that mountain. Some of us, again, it might be that there's this it's insecurity. There's a mountain of insecurity. And Every time we want to live our lives as God's children, we want to go out and, and be faithful and live, we're just insecure, we're unsure of ourselves. And, and we know that it's holding us back from living our life as God's children. It's keeping us back. And it's like a mountain. Jesus' promise is clear. It's here. If we have faith, God will move that mountain. Some of us are, are shackled by anxiety. Our anxiety is keeping us from living our life as God's children. I don't know how God is going to move that mountain. I do know God promises he will move the mountain. Jesus says, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. I'm not saying that. Your Savior is saying that. Jesus is saying that. Not some massive great faith. Faith as small as a mustard seed. Jesus says that faith is enough. Not because the faith is enough, but because God's power is enough. God's power will move those mountains. And so what we're going to do, we're going to do something somewhat unusual. Um, if you're here and you know, and there, there are mountains, there are things that seem so impossible for you to move. There are things that you know it's getting in your way of living as God's child. We're going to pray. Um, and you can pray where you are. But also, a few of us are going to be at the back. Um, and if you're willing to, and you want to be prayed for, we're going to pray for you. Um, let's be specific. Let's be specific. Let's pray. Whatever that thing is, God's power is available. God says he's going to move the mountain. So we're going to do that now. We're going to spend some time in reflection, and we're going to pray. If you're willing to, please come. I'll be there. Um, some sisters will be there. We'll come. We'll, we'll pray for you. Um, and we'll do that during this time of reflection. We'll do that all the way through to the end of the two songs. So at any point, please do, do come and pray. Um, but pray. And all we're praying for is for faith. What we're going to do is to pray for faith. God's power moves the mountains. We do not move the mountains. But the Bible says that happens by faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you because he is the all-glorious, 
one. He is the one whose face shines like the sun and in fact shines like a billion suns. We thank you for the sneak peek into just how glorious he is. We thank you because he's the almighty God, the creator of the heavens of the earth. We thank you. We thank you for his might and his power. And yet, Lord, what humbles us, what causes us to marvel, is that somehow the Son of God would share that with us, would be willing for us to also be called children alongside him. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you. And yet, Lord, we pray for faith. And we pray, Lord, for those who are not yet sons, who are not yet children of God. Lord, I pray that you would grant faith, that by faith they would become part of God's family. And Lord, I pray for those of us who are your children. Lord, that we would, by your grace, we would trust in you. We would put our faith in you. Lord, that we would have faith to see 